Good morning. It's so good to see everybody. We've been away on holiday. Some of you may have been, some of you are going, some of you might not be going, who knows, but uh, it's good to be back and good to be among you all. And I get to continue with a Romans uh, theme. We're going through it like an express train. Um, We're on Romans chapter 13 now. So if you've got your Bibles or your little books, notebooks and pens, please look up Romans 13. Chris, I understand, did the last one, submission to governing authorities. So I'm on verse, uh, verse 8 through to 14. And I'm going to read it to you. So I think it's going to come up on the screen. I mentioned uh, to Sam that it's the NIV, but there's so many versions of the NIV now. Um, it used to be the nearly infallible version, but there's so many, uh, so many versions. But we're going to read, I'm going to read from my Bible and then uh, uh, follow on the screen or in your own Bible if you can. Romans 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Amen. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. There are certain passages in Romans, aren't there, that are a little, take a little bit of getting your head around. Very uh, complicated and uh, uh, tough concepts to grasp. But I'm thankful that this passage is fairly straightforward, fairly open. And um, somebody uh, once said to me, you know, it's not the bar- parts of the Bible that I don't understand that's the problem. It's the parts I do understand that give me the problem. Because there's an awful lot of challenge in a very simple passage. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves has fulfilled the law. Simple. (laughs) Easy, isn't it, Christianity? Love gets a bit of a bad press. There are a few human experiences and concepts that are more badly misunderstood than love. And I think we're we're set up to misunderstand maybe the impact of Paul's words here simply because our minds have so many preconceived ideas about what love is all about. What's love got to do with it? What's love but a second-hand emotion? What's love got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? What's love but a sweet old-fashioned notion? Howard knows. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> but there's all the songs are about love, aren't there? All the concept of t- TV programs are, are, are about love. Love is all around us. We feel it in our fingers. We feel it in our toes. But how rarely is love thought of beyond the impact on us? 
beyond the way we feel, beyond the good things that it does for us. To say we love someone is usually a reflection of the positive feelings we have towards that person or the positive feelings they give us about ourselves. Oh, that's great. We, we love that person. We love love. But if circumstances change, if behaviours change, if offence is felt, if there's pain in the, in the equation, then our understanding of love can be weak, it can be transitory, it can leave quickly, it can leave as quickly as it can. When we talk about falling in love, we can fall out of love. We can become bitter, we can become angry, and we can become hateful because love seems to evaporate relatively quickly when things go wrong. But the biblical understanding of love is something so much... You know, love can be a word that can be a little bit, in our understanding, it can be a little bit insipid. It's a bit like nice. You know, somebody's very nice. You think, oh, we're always told by our English teacher, don't use words like nice. You have to uh, use... Now, it's, it's sort of regained a bit of uh, uh, positivity now being nice, but you say, no, don't use nice. It's too, it's too weak. It's too colourless. So think of some other words. And love can be a little bit like that. You know, it becomes devalued because of the, the, the way that it's used so widely and so freely. But Song of Songs 8-7 in the Bible says, Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's health for love, it would be utterly scorned. That quality of love, rock solid, unmovable, unchanging, fierce, committed, enduring love is very rare in real life experience. And yet, it is the nature of the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And in that phrase is loaded so much cost, so much pain, so much commitment, so much sacrifice that God so loved the world, therefore he gave his only son. God's love leads to a, to a tremendous amount of consequence and impact in our lives. Love is powerful. It's an inescapable commitment that is more certain than anything. And our hearts can be stirred by that concept, but we think, can it really be true? That it's a locked-in, non-negotiable, non-cancellable covenant promise that you can build your life on without fear. That's the nature of love. Like Tina Turner, is it Tina Turner? What's love got to do with it? Yeah, see, I don't know about popular culture, Howard. But um, thank you very much. <laughs> What's love got to do? You know, it's, it's just, there's that, that sort of nervousness, that insecurity, that, that fear that surrounds love when it comes to human expression of love. But the, God, the love that God has and the love that God calls us to and the God that, love that God wants us to experience is so much more. That is the quality of love we are to have for God and for each other. Love that costs us. Love that is inconvenient. Love that is painful. Love that challenges what we are used to. Paul says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Let no debt remain outstanding except the debt to love one another. If I am in debt, that colours my life, my decisions, my priorities, 
It's what I think about. I work in order to pay that debt. I can't get up one morning and think, well, I'm not going to bother doing anything about my debts today. I don't feel like it. It doesn't suit me today, this week, this month. Mortgage can hang. doesn't matter. We're just going to enjoy ourselves. Only lasts for a little while, doesn't it, until there's a knock on the door. Because we have a legal and a moral obligation to pay our debts. That's what, that's, that, that's what life is often all about. It has nothing to do with what I think or what I feel. It's, not, it's nothing to do with what's inside of me at all. It's an external obligation. I can tell the bank that I don't feel like paying, but they're just going to hand me the piece of paper. So it's your responsibility. It's your debt. You have to pay. So let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. And so we need to look at our responsibility to love in the same way that we look on our financial debts. That's how we understand our responsibility. There is a continuing debt of love that must be paid. Our problem is we get everything turned on its head and we imagine that it is we who are owed when it comes to love. The world owes me. You owe me. Why don't you love me? It's your responsibility to love me, to make me feel good, to make me feel secure, to nod and say amen when I'm preaching. It's, it's responsible. <laughs> Didn't get the hint, did you? <laughs> we are not the creditor when it comes to love. We are the debtor. And our calculation needs to always be, how can I meet my obligations to love in this circumstance, in this relationship, in my life? I have an obligation to work it out from my point of view, how to be the one who loves, how to be the one who pays that debt, how to be the one who takes that responsibility. Rather than calling in all my debts all the time, you didn't love me enough, you don't care for me enough, you didn't smile at me enough, you, weren't, you, know, you didn't pay enough attention to me. You, you have a debt with me. No, that's not, that's not how the Bible understands it. We have a continuing debt that, cut, that we need to pay, that we need to love one another with. And in one way or the other, I guess, if we go, if we go into all the stories, we would all have experience of the negative side of relationships. We are all vulnerable to the pain of broken relationships or challenge in relationships and the question is, how do we respond when things go bad? How do we respond when things don't work out the way we hoped and planned? And this is one of the things that has gone round and round my mind over many years because I also, we also are, are, are vulnerable to that, have experienced that, have experienced difficulty and challenge and pain when it comes to human relationships. What does forgiveness look like? How do I love someone who has hated me. It's all very well, you know, understanding the, the concept that we need to forgive 70 times 7. But what does it actually mean to forgive someone in real life when there's real pain, when there's real hurt, when there's real difficulty and challenge and, and misunderstanding? How do we get around that and live a life that is honoring to the word of God and honoring to God's requirements on us to pay our debt of love? Because the easiest thing to do is to follow the path of least resistance. To follow the way of all flesh and just let your negative emotions roar. And you know what will happen is everybody understands. Nobody will blame you. You will always find someone to back you up in the negative. 
If you, want to, if you go around and you tell somebody, have you heard what so-and-so has done? Have you heard what they said? Have you heard how they've behaved? Really? And then it just gets into a, and it just starts becoming a big pile on. And everybody's, you know, and then you think, well, you know, and I'm not going to talk to that person anymore, and I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do that. And you've got all of, the, all of the reinforcement because that's where we feel comfortable because that's the way our flesh leads us. That's the way our hearts go sometimes into the negative and into the destructive. And those cycles can last for many, many years. And the challenge for us as Christians is to realize that even though we've been hurt, and even though a withdrawal has been made from our lives, we actually are still the debtors that our responsibility is to continue to love and to work out what it means to continually pay that debt of love. Because we have to, if we can't love in the good times and the bad, then we're missing the mark when it comes to understanding the heart of God. You ever wonder why Jesus talked about loving your enemies? Because loving people who aren't your enemies is quite easy. Loving your enemies is the challenge. There's been a quote going around on Facebook. I don't know if you've seen it, but I've never heard it put that way before, but it really challenged me. It said that the challenge of Christianity is not loving Jesus, it's loving Judas. You have to think about that for a while. We also, you know, we love Jesus. Yeah, but do you love Judas? And this is the challenge of Christian love. Love that doesn't can't wipe away everything that is done, everything that is said, everything that happens, can't forget all of those things, but yet somehow finds a way to bridge the divide, to pay the debt, to cross the barrier. There are many different circumstances and relationships where I've had to think through what all this means, because I certainly, I mean, no way, I would never say, oh, you know, I've got this nailed. I understand this because it is so difficult and we need to wrestle with it and try to understand how our continuing debt to love shapes our lives and our decisions and our our priorities, how it shapes how we deal with people and how we deal with challenges in relationships. But the fundamental truth is that we don't have the freedom to walk away. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Remember somebody describing covenant once, saying that covenant means we abandon the right to quit. And however hard it is, however difficult it is, however challenging it is, we simply don't have the option to turn our back and walk away and say, well, that's it, that's finished. We, we, walk, we have to, to work out, by the grace of God, what it means to continue to pay a debt of love. And that will actually, there is, we need to continually look for the things that separate us from, 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 the, from the way of all the world. And one of the benefits of going through the book of Romans is that it has laid the foundations for our understanding of what makes the church different. What makes us different from every other well-meaning, socially positive group in the entire world. And it's all to do with this gospel and the response that we make to it within our hearts and how it actually starts to work out in our experience and in our relationships with each other. He goes on in verse 11. My eyes have suddenly got... I used to be... I never knew whether to put these glasses on or off, but now I can't see anything. I need healing. Verse 11. And do this... Understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Do this, pay this debt, 
live like this, understanding the present time. You know, when we just, well, as I've said, follow the way of all flesh, it's because we don't have that, that vision of eternity. We've been singing about eternity this morning. We don't have that, that vision. We think about what is happening to me immediately now, how I feel now, and how I'm going to respond now. But we need to live our lives with a, with a view and with a vision that, uh, that understands the present time that we are in because... The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So Paul contrasts this instruction to pay our debt of love and he contrasts it with living in a way that is just what he calls the deeds of darkness. Carousing. That's uh, That's probably one word that our English teacher would have got us to look up. Carousing drunkenness, sexual immorality and debauchery, dissension and jealousy. Just living however you want to live, however you, you feel, just, just, just fulfilling your own needs and desires and, and that. Or live in this way, thinking about what it means to be a disciple of Christ, thinking about what it means to honour God, thinking about what it means to reflect our faith in the way that we act and the way that we speak and the way that we deal with everybody around us. The ordered, disciplined life of faith against the existence that just follows every idea and feeling wherever it comes from. So our decision to follow Christ is a decision that we make on one day in our lives. I can remember, uh, I don't remember the exact day, but it was back in about 1987. I made a decision to follow Christ. Somebody put on on the prayer thing recently, it was 38 years since they surrendered their life to Christ. We have an idea of when it was that we, we had that moment. Maybe yours was much nearer than that. But we have to make that decision every day of our lives to consider his call upon us, our duty to respond, because what he calls us to is worth everything it might seem to cost us, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Whenever it was you first believed, your salvation is nearer now. And so we need to be shaping our lives and prioritizing our lives and and seeing that work of transformation by grace working in our lives, preparing us for that salvation that is nearer now than it was when we first believed. The day is nearly here. The world that we live in appeals to our flesh in every way imaginable, whether in the way we think and act or in the way we relate to people around us. But Christians are different because we've understood that not everything is about what we feel, not everything is about what we want, but it's about, you know, these things are not the purpose of the universe, but we have a higher calling and a higher purpose to live in a way that pleases God. We're not talking about a dry code of law here. We're talking about the grace of God that Romans has been all about. And, and elsewhere in the scriptures says the grace of God teaches us, teaches us how to live, teaches us to say no to unrighteousness, teaches us what is in the heart of God. And we need to be those that are continually seeing growth in the way we understand what it is to be a Christian. God is working his purposes out. Graham mentioned earlier the song that says he's still God. Well, I've never known a time that has been more chaotic politically, socially, scientifically, whatever. Everything is, is, as seems to have just gone into, into the tumble dryer. Everything seems to be breaking down. 
Every radio or TV station. I had to turn it off the other day. They were just going on and on about everything that was going to happen to me and how my life was ending. And um, <laughs> They were telling me I was going to boil to death in the heat wave and then I'm going to freeze to death because I can't afford to eat in the winter. And it, just, it was just like one thing after another. Pandemic, climate catastrophe, cost of living, it's all Armageddon. In fact, one of the BBC people apparently said this week, this is what Armageddon looks like. But well, he's, he's setting his standards low, probably. <laughs> but what do you think about? What do you feel when you look forward to the weeks and months ahead? They keep telling us winter's coming. We don't know what winter's bringing with it. But there's a challenge for us. You know, we can laugh about it, but again, it can be a real thing. There's so much, Graham mentioned, all that's happened, happening on the, on the estate over this weekend, and it brings with it a climate of fear and uncertainty and a shaking of our hope because we don't know what on earth is happening to our world. Is your hope shaken? Do you feel afraid? Maybe there are specific things in your own life that are weighing you down and you, you, know, you wake up in the morning and suddenly you think, oh no, this is what I'm carrying through life. There is an uncertainty and a, and a hopelessness and a fear that might come in. We might not be getting lost in carousing and drunkenness or whatever, but we are overwhelmed and our faith becomes dim. And what he says is, clothe yourself with Christ. Someone who clothes themselves with Christ begins to look like Him, sound like Him, think like Him. Our clothing is about our appearance. It's much more than just our, what goes on in the privacy of our own heart or our own mind. It's about what we wear on the outside for everybody to see. That's why people take time over their clothing. They want to consider how they appear, how they look, because it portrays something about us. It's how we want the world to see us. It's about how we live. It's about our presence in it. And so in times of great uncertainty, instead of clothing ourselves with fear, clothing ourselves with hopelessness, clothing ourselves with negative speak, clothing ourselves with all the negative emotions that come, we need to practice the art of clothing ourselves with Christ, clothing ourselves with faith, clothing ourselves with the understanding that He's still God. He's still on the throne. He's still moving in power. He still has purposes. He still has a future. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That he would give them a warning, you're going to enter seven years of famine in the old days. But, but in the middle of that, he was able to bless. He was able to establish. He was able to strengthen. And we need to clothe ourselves with the clothes of faith. This is our opportunity so we approach the challenges of life not listening to the loud voices all around us that know nothing of God or nothing of eternity. I think that's what I've noticed more as more, more and more negative stuff. News is always negative, isn't it? But it just seems to be relentless. You know, even, not even news. Now thinking about what, what could happen. One, one piece of breaking news the other day was that snake bites are increasing in the UK. It's not, it's not, that's not news. I suppose it's news if you get bitten by a snake. But they, you know, there's, there's this, this, this constant negative, but there's an utter hopelessness. People, they present the fear, present the negative, 
that have nothing to add, nothing to help, nothing to build, nothing to strengthen. This is what is happening, but... And that's where the church is different. That's where as we clothe ourselves with Christ and we walk in in the streets and we walk amongst our friends and we walk amongst our family, people that are surrounded with a heavy cloud of fear and uncertainty and anxiety and not knowing what's going to happen next. And we can go into those situations clothed with Christ, not just with the words that we speak, but with all that we are, all that we present, the attitude, the demeanor, the, the, the way that we walk, the way that we think, the way that we look forward, with, like the Bible said about Abraham, you know, facing the fact that his body was as good as dead, but against all hope and hope belief, we face the facts. We know we live in a world that is falling apart. We know we live in a world that is beset by cost of living crisis. We know there is, there is disease around. We know there are all of these things, but yet we have the opportunity to clothe ourselves with Christ and present something different to say, yes, it's real. Yes, it's, it's happening, but there is hope, but there is, there is vision, but there is a future. That's the message that we have. This is the thing, you know, in a, it, what does it mean to, to families that are surrounded where there, is, where there is violence and where there's death and where there's, 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 there's sadness and destruction and grief and all of that, and there's nothing to, to, nothing to, to counteract that. We are those who are clothed with Christ. And we have the compassion and the mercy and the joy that there can be joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I, Paul says, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Don't just rejoice when when the pay packet comes in. Rejoice when it doesn't come in. Though the fig tree doesn't blossom and there be no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in my God. This is what it means to be clothed with Christ. It's not being pretending. It's not being fake. It's just being... It's being real with our faith. Say so that, that, that he is real. And he, we have a hope. The, the night is almost over. The day is almost here. We're surrounded by very real challenge, like war and all that, that brings. And yet the night is almost over. The day is almost here. That's our message. That's what we carry with us. We don't, you know, the, we're all going to die in a, in a nuclear Armageddon or whatever, you know, all these negative things that come up. No, God is still God. God is on the throne. He is working his purposes out and there is nothing, as my friend Jeff Mullenger in Zambia says, there is nothing that takes him by accident. Clothe yourself with Christ. See every fearful prediction as an opportunity to grow in our faith and knowledge of Christ. And don't be tempted to discard him in the turmoil of all that goes on. Every turbulent and unstable period of history is an opportunity to put down roots into God. Are you worried about your circumstances? It's an opportunity to trust God. It's an opportunity to discover grace. It's an opportunity to clothe yourself with Christ in the face of great challenge. And I'm not being glib about the reality of problems here, but I am being realistic about what it means to put our faith and our roots into Christ. If we are going to continue paying our debt of love, if we're going to rise up in the faith as the days get more challenging, then we need the resources of heaven. And we need to look to God for his resources rather than listening to ourselves. Are you ready to stand before God and ask him for all that he has? Or, are we gonna, or do we feel like we're going to get pushed over by every negative thought that comes, every challenge that is around, every, every challenging person, every challenging circumstance? We can stand strong. We can stand firm. That's for each and every one. of That's the beauty of the gospel. That it doesn't, it's not, 
It's not led from the platform, but it comes from our hearts. We stand firm in all that God has called us to be, who we are in Christ. Amen.